Let's go. Bum 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 bum. Mr. Salmon. Binge Town, how are we feeling today? It's your boy PD, aka PD, aka producer Dave here with Luke, B Toms, and Paul. The Sandman never rests, and neither do we. Today's podcast, we will be covering episodes five and six of Netflix's own The Sandman. And I must say, these two episodes were very, very unique episodes. And the hype for this show just keeps building, especially for me. Um, episode five, we get a lot of focus on the infamous diner scene where John just unleashes absolute chaos and a little bit of horniness as well. And then in episode six, we get possibly my favorite episode of The Sandman so far with the introduction of two amazing characters. We get Death and Hobbs. We have a lot to cover in this podcast today, so I'm just going to hand it right over to Luke to get our layout. So I need to drop a quick plug here and give a huge thank you and shout out to the official Sandman Reddit community for allowing us to post our podcast to their main page, as well as always being a helpful source of information. I am constantly on their form learning things about the source material and picking up new things I missed from the show. Please go check them out if you're looking for fun and engaging dialogue. The Reddit community name is just Sandman. With that being said, if you're listening for the first time and came from the Reddit page, welcome. I wanted to give us a little update on how we're standing with the episode ratings. I know Brian's mentioned it. I think he mentioned it on the last podcast about how IMDb has been scoring these episodes. So for what it's worth, every single episode of the season has been above a 7.0, which is, you know, I think at a great baseline to have. And with that being said, the four highest episodes of the season are episodes one, four, five, six, meaning we just kind of went through the, the highest rated span of episodes. And episode six itself is the highest by significant margin at 9.3. Um, I would agree. I think it's the, the best episode of the season, just like Dave said. Um, and then for what it's worth. Episode seven is actually the lowest at a 7.0, and that's our next. So we're basically going to be going from our highest high to the lowest low of the season. So assuming we are back here on the mic next time and we're still positive, I don't think we're going to walk away from this season anything but extremely happy. Um, but yeah, like with that being said, episode five was just so artistic in its own way, and it it, it just felt so different from the rest of this season because episodes one through four were so fast-paced. And it felt good to kind of have a little change up because even episode six is pretty slow paced too. We only get through two main plot points there and it's kind of catching us up. It feels like for the sprint of the end of the season, but these episodes have been incredible. I, I'm in love with this show through six episodes. This is my favorite fantasy series almost ever. This is, you can't really have much better start in my opinion. I think you nailed it, Luke, about the pacing of episode five because episodes one to four were Obviously, we had a 100-year time skip just in episode one alone, and even the events that were following uh, the 100-year time skip, everything was moving very quick. And then when we get one whole episode that encompasses at one location, in I think the whole scene probably would have actually been maybe like an hour. He was probably in that diner, if that. So the first 30 minutes of episode five, I wasn't crazy about, but I think the last half of the episode really carries it to me to become a great episode. When I was first watching it, I was like, what is even going on right now? We're 30 minutes in, everything's moving so slow. We're getting introduced to all these characters who I thought, like I was sitting there trying to remember all their names because I thought they were going to be important. Spoiler alert, they aren't, they're all dead. So it doesn't even matter. But the end of five really carried the whole, the whole episode for me. And then we'll get to six when we get there. But six, just to reiterate it again, was just absolutely incredible. 
Yeah, so I'll, I'll take it from you right there. Once, with regards to episode five, once I kind of realized that it was going to be its own separate story, I kind of accepted it and was just like, all right, what are they trying to do here? And I walked away from it with more of an appreciation of how the Ruby affects humans, but more to extrapolate that, just how these godly artifacts affect humans and how they're just not designed to be interacting with humans. And we saw the negative effects that the Ruby had on John and obviously the effects that the control of the Ruby had on the citizens of the diner. So I thought it was a really cool episode, um, especially after how great episode four was to completely remove Morpheus, the Sandman, from the episode for the first uh, first 40 minutes was definitely a change of pace but you know it landed for me and then and then episode six of course was just unbelievable any episode of tv that can make you question your own mortality has a thumbs up for me so Mm -hmm. we're gonna get into that episode for sure great yeah great episodes great to go back to back totally different vibes almost from the rest of the season for both of them i mean five in particular five should have been just like five could be a play like just like a quick little play you go see live it's going to be phenomenal like it's such a cool little aspect um of what this you can call him like a villain like a super villain's like ultimate evil plan is and the after effects of that and that being said i think it's a really cool evil plan you know no more lies everybody just tells the truth um because the world will definitely fall apart (laughs) exactly like they showed um and it uh it really makes you think, and it's just a really cool evil plan, like I was saying. Um, but with six, absolutely phenomenal. I'm basically saying that every episode of this show has been completely new concepts to me, like a really unique world, and I'm absolutely in love with it. Because of the nature of episode five, titled 24-7, everyone that's listening to this has already seen the episode. We're not going to get into the details of the first half of this, the first almost 30 minutes before things start getting crazy because it would be excessive. I'm going to give you the rundown of the characters real quick, what their place is in society, but then we're going to really flip it on once the Ruby starts taking effect. And if you didn't pay attention or you didn't have subtitles on the subtle world building that's happening in the background by the TV and the news team is so incredibly important and probably my favorite part of this. And on the rewatch, I was just so much more satisfied with, with this whole arc from John, AKA Lupin, because while it did go zero to a hundred, his villain arc, and it doesn't feel like we spent that much time with him. It was so freaking effective at how he affected the world in a negative way. Um, like you might, if you're not paying attention to that news, cycle that's going on in the background you might think that he was anticlimactic but it actually wasn't he caused a crazy amount of destruction and death and kind of lived up to a mid-season villain and i'm happy we're not going to spend too too much time with him because we have so many endless we have the corinthians still to deal with and like higher things and bigger realm problems so i just thought it was a short sweet arc for john and i hope he does come back because i don't think he's dead i think dream specifically puts him into an endless sleep kind of like he did to alex so he could still be on the board but we'll get more into it as we're going to the second half of this episode so in this diner the first 30 minutes is spent just in a very creative directorial way like slow burning the backstories of these random people that are just showing up to this 
this diner just casually and we have our we have our main characters betty who's the wait betty bet i think her name is bet don't they call her bet they call her bets but bet. i don't know if that's just like a nickname. b-e-t-t-e bet mm-hmm. hard yes. bet so <laughs> bet is the waitress she has aspirations to be a writer she has a son um that's in college she's kind of like the main person that's connecting all these people here uh, we also have Marsh, the cook, who she's in love. There's like super high tension between Bet and Marsh. She clearly is in love with him. He's not into her because of the secrets that come out later. Then we have our third main character here, Judy, who is the conflicted um, girlfriend of a mysterious character named Donna. And she's having all these internal relationship problems. And we're kind of seeing that play out in, in her body language and just how she's interacting. Uh, we also have Mark, who is a new potential vanguard employee who's about to interview for the big firm that's in town so he's just here getting some coffee before he goes for that interview and then lastly we have the vanguard couple who is the ceo of the company kate and then her husband gary who is just a very very i want to say repressed husband by her by his overly demanding wife and it kind of makes him internalized hate for her and they have like an insane dynamic that you can kind of feel the tension every time they're talking to each other so you know we get through bet we get all of these stories and how they're these people why they're there and stuff like that and john is in this restaurant watching all of this play out he i think the description of netflix does a good job where it says that he tries a deadly experiment with honesty um in this diner that's kind of what he's doing he's watching the effects of his use of the sandman's ruby to affect the world and and create the dream that he wants which really plays into his whole storyline that we got from rosemary where he all the lies that kind of that he got from ethel his mom have have created this villain that's pretty much setting the scene you know a lot's going on here as the scenes are progressing you hear from the new from the tv that i keep mentioning the news in the background how the the weather patterns are getting crazy. Like there's just unrest building in the world. And as things start escalating slowly in the diner, it starts escalating in the world. John is affecting everybody. And it's, it's pretty damn cool when you think of it like that, because that really makes it like a powerful statement. It's a micro scale of what's happening on a macro scale. And it was just so incredibly well done. I just think that once he turns on the Ruby 30 minutes into it, that's just, when this episode turns up, when Beck comes up and it was like, what can I get for you, handsome? And he just turns on the ruby and he's like, you don't actually think I'm handsome, do you? Mm-hmm. And she's like, no, I don't. I don't know why I said that. And then that's when, for me, I was finally reaching that peak of tension. Like I was sitting there under the influence, of course, and just freaking <laughs> out because I'm just waiting for something to happen and nothing is happening. And once he whips out the ruby, I finally got like a sense of relief in a sense mm-hmm. that something was actually about to happen and boy does it pick up right after that we were having a panic attack we were like, I was what the fuck is this i was literally repeating that one westworld episode <laughs> all over again where it's the same scene over and over again i was like <laughs> what is going on i'm so lost but mm-hmm. well worth the payoff in the end absolutely yeah i was i was very confused just because as a fifth episode of the first season like you're ready for, for for things to be moving right like it's it's episode five you get all the background so then all of a sudden it slows down and it's introducing these new characters. And I was getting a little bit frustrated because I wanted to see my boy Morpheus. But you guys, you guys said it as soon as the Ruby comes into play and John starts like having his dream come true. Uh, it's totally worth the setup because the, the payoff of everybody's interaction of 
these people that don't know each other, what happens just when you tell the truth around strangers? It's really funny and really cool. It's very reminiscent of Quentin Tarantino's The Hateful Eight. If I'm being like, it just take everything takes place in one room and it's all about the drama and the interactions and the background that gets built in by these random just people talking to each other. But uh, I'll keep sprinting. Let's be times you want to throw a comment in as I take a breath. Yeah, I do just want to say that I, for one, was just like, ah, someone will tell me what the TV is saying in the background. I don't want to get those notes. So I, while you were explaining and setting the scene, had to deal with the new appreciation that all of this was happening in the real world. And it doesn't have to change a whole lot. I was just like, oh, this was John running the experiment in a small microcosm before he does it on the big scale. But he did it at the big scale and at the small scale at the same time. So I'm I'm just dealing with that there. Uh, yeah, it was, it was insane. A couple draw drop moments when people start, are we going to go through? Once? I got you. Well, okay, I'm, cool. I'm yeah, yeah. But yes, there has only been one mention of the TV so far up to this point, right? When he activates the Ruby for real and it's just the weather patterns kind of building and getting mm-hmm. crazier. And you can see it's starting to be windy outside the diner too. So it's actually like you're seeing it and hearing it. So that's all cool. But like you guys are bringing up, he activates the Ruby hardcore when he's talking to bet. And this is when people no longer have the ability to hide, uh, to lie. They can't hide their true selves. They start saying what they're actually thinking. And, you know, in theory, that should be a good thing, but clearly it's not. And, and dream comes in at the end to explain why, but before we get there, the last couple of things before we are going to start slowing down my summaries of this and talking about things, this is what happens is the bent up aggression of the couple gets crazy crazy like about the food blah blah blah. that kind of goes in a predictable manner as they start being unable to lie um we also have mark gets interviewed by the ceo and the husband so that's that's kind of they're integrating those characters a little bit more you're still getting updates on the weather pattern getting worse and worse in the background at this point um john gets some backstory from judy about her girlfriend donna we get a little bit of that and then uh then the real first, like, holy shit, okay, I kind of get where this is going, is when Bet goes back into the kitchen and has the conversation about Marsh when she tries to invite him back to his house, and he can't lie about why he is being weird about it. And Dave, I know what you're going to bring up, and we're going to bring it up, but this, so- it just gets mic dropped where basically the, the Marsh that she's in love with has been going over to hook up with her son. Yeah. So I have a question, though. Not only were they unable to lie, they were unable to withhold the truth. Like he couldn't just walk away. There was some amount of compulsion to say exactly what's on your mind, which makes it way more fucked up and not even like. I don't know what point I'm trying to make there, but there is a distinction between the two thing. And John made it on the compulsion side of things, which I feel like is unfair to humanity. Mm-hmm. It absolutely puts these people in what you're to go off what you're saying, B. Toms. It definitely puts these people in even more uncomfortable of situations because they just physically can't avoid the confrontation that's about to happen, even if they wanted to, which yeah. I'm sure all of them did want to do. But I'll just say this about the Marsh thing was. Let's just say I forgot that Bet had mentioned she had a daughter in or son in college, and so he, when he was explaining, he's like, "I go up to your your son's bedroom every night and I fuck him, or, and sometimes I let him fuck me." I was like, that just got really really dark. But then they emphasize later again that he's he twenty one. Yeah, because yeah, we thought it was going to be even darker, and that was going to yes. make the whole episode even have a darker tone than it already did. But 
you know, either way, it's still fucked up and it's still playing with Bet's emotions. She's spiraling because of this. And what directly happens because of that confrontation, she leaves. This leads to each of the pairs being together, the pairs that all end up, you know, you know what I'm talking about. They each kind of have a mini heart to heart. I would say like Kate and Mark start getting off work and they they're talking about Kate's like love life, basically. Gary goes into the back kitchen room and has and starts talking with Marsh and he's kind of unloading about his marriage baggage. And at the same time, Bet and Judy are having a heart to heart outside of the bathroom. And this is where I'm going to pause because now we're about to go into everything going crazy where John completely just lets the Ruby go wild and everybody just starts hooking up. Before we get into the the craziness or the, the sexiness, I should say, um, Brian, to go off what you were saying, I didn't even realize or really put that together that, yeah, they don't even have the option to walk away. So what you were kind of saying about John, he's taking away not only uh, their choice to not tell the truth, but now he's taking away the choice to, to not be able to run away and, and having to answer. And that just get, adds so much more on top of everything. It's almost like he's, he's enslaved everybody's minds in the world. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's exactly what it is. I think. Um, and like, as he's doing this, he actually starts becoming almost like invisible to everybody around as he's like experiencing this case study in his own head and he's just walking around. And this is where the cinematography of this episode takes another step up because as the episode's going on, the music is so expertly placed at at creating its own tension, even when there should be no tension. We're talking about like a couple here that's been together for five years. Okay, they're fighting about the food, but they're making the music make us sit on the edge of our seat sharp and, violin yes. stuff like i'm just like kate is gonna freak at this yes. guy no you're 100 right they're doing angles of camera work where they're kind of making it diagonal to emphasize how evil john is every time he's talking that that stuff is just it's so subtle and if you're not really looking for it you miss it but it's just so expertly done like they clearly took a risk with this episode at the slowdown but all of that build up leading to this moment where everybody just pops and like they're all just like hardcore hooking up left and right. They can't contain themselves. And John is just walking around with his ice cream, just fucking chilling. And this is where you hear another part of the TV broadcast saying um, that two pandas that haven't mated in a, over a decade or something like that finally did. So it was showing you again that outer scope of what was going on in the world where even animals are banging each other now and like then you're starting to hear of these other and the weather patterns are still getting worse outside it's starting to rain it's just so much really done how am i on a podcast because i remember hearing the two pandas banging and i'm like yeah okay like this reminds me of when pandas was given birth in Anchorman, you know, at the yeah. zoo. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, panda birth is, is really special. I didn't even think about everybody's fucking banging that doesn't want to bang. Yeah. Um, so two things here. One, Gary's line to Marsh is Gary, right? Gary's He's, the husband, yeah. He says to Marsh, sometimes you just need your dick sucked. And Marsh <laughs> is like, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. So that was wild. Didn't see that coming together at all. And then the second thing is I have a crazy theory that John idolizes Jim Carrey, right? So he idolizes Jim Carrey 
saw the movie Liar Liar, starring Jim Carrey, saw he couldn't tell the truth and was like, as a child, as he was getting hit by his, uh, you know, stepdads when they they were running around, um, that is one hundred percent why he this is his big plan where nobody can tell the the a lie is because liar liars his favorite movie but he was in jail for the last 30 years he had ability damn it <laughs> i didn't think of that they might he, have had, he had access to outside information that's how he got the background I was to, say, they could to... give him a movie every once in a while and he yeah. just chooses liar liar on repeat when did liar liar come out but That's the only reason that theory falls apart. The only <laughs> one, Paul. The um, when Bet and was a Judy, what was her name? Uh, when they start hooking up, I was like, okay, interest. Like this is kind of like I could see this happening. This was pretty predictable. But then when the other, when we get shots of the other two, quote unquote, couples going on with the the intern and the CEO, and then obviously Marsh and um, Gary. Yeah, Gary. I was like, wow, I did not expect all of them to be hooking up. Like, I could see it because early on, earlier in the episode, you know, Bet or it gets Judy gets word that Bet kind of finds her attractive or thought that her ex girlfriend wasn't good enough for her. And so she kind of takes it. And so you're like, okay, like these two are definitely going to hook up. And then you get the progression of the other two characters. And it's like, wow, are these all these people going to fuck? <laughs> and they fuck. And it's like, Wow, what did I just watch, man? At this crazy. point, I was already saying everybody in this diner is gonna die. I like right around the part when they're all yeah. starting to bang. I was like, oh my god, everyone in this diner is gonna get murdered. And I, and it turned out to be the way it went. And because as soon as I'm gonna call it the post nut clarity happens for all three mm-hmm. of the couples, shit really starts to happen. Um, this is when you know Judy tell Judy, Ugh. Judy finds out about all of the the backstory with Donna. Sorry, bet learned from judy about the backstory with donna where she actually like hit her blah blah, blah. Mm. and then the real shit starts when gary comes out of the kitchen and is starting to choke out mark on the ground and then mark reacts by taking the glass shard that's on the ground and killing him and then all hell breaks loose as intense as that moment was this was probably the peak of my relief because i was like okay finally we're getting some action i can just sit back and enjoy all the death and just like casually just enjoy it all because <laughs> I had just been waiting. We're like, it's like probably 45 minutes into the episode already at this point. And I'm just so relieved that something's finally happening and everything, the culmination of everything that we had seen had finally been come to this point, this breaking point. And once Gary starts jumping Mark and Mark has to defend him, like he's strangling him and Mark has to mm-hmm. defend himself by stabbing him, which I obviously, if you're about to be killed, the only other option would be to defend yourself and try and kill the other person you know so just a yeah. just a phenomenally well done build up and the stress was finally just releasing from my body at this moment <laughs> at least they all yeah, got like, laid before dying yeah true everybody else um yeah like mark was saying like i didn't want to kill him and everybody was like yeah you did deep down and i'm like no he didn't he was getting attacked like i don't i don't know he didn't actually want to kill him that was the only like thing that i had felt a little weird about because you're right like any natural reaction would be to kind of just grab something and maybe just harm the other person to defend him it didn't maybe necessarily have to be him killing him but yeah they're all like you had you wanted to kill him and he's like no it's self-defense i'm like yeah it was i mean i would have done the same thing 
Groupthink, man. They came to the wrong conclusion on that one. Imagine walking into a diner for a cup of coffee before your interview, and before you leave, you bang the CEO and murder her husband. People, I mean, this poor guy. <laughs> people won't believe him when he tells that story, man. Well, never mind. Too late. That reminded me of an important part I missed leading up to the buildup of all this is any time that any of the experimentees from John's perspective tried to leave the diner, he warped reality to make them kind of reset in their head and just restart the yeah. process because he wanted to see how it all played out. So that was another aspect of just showing how powerful the Ruby is. I loved John just walking to get his ice cream, yeah. just passing everybody, you know, nailing each other. We kind of brought it up before, but just the, the seamless transition into John not giving a shit. He was like, you know what I want right now? Ice cream. Everybody wants to bang, but I want ice cream. So while he's eating that ice cream and the, the, the murder happened, this is when Bet stands up and realizes what the fuck is the cause of all this. Why, why the world's being weird. She looks over and sees John. And then this is the most important TV broadcast we get. So beat times. If you miss this, this is really, really good stuff here because it's saying in the background as she's calling him out from causing all this to happen. The TV news broadcaster is saying, there is just accidents all around the country. There are plane crashes that are just completely just falling out of the sky. The the president issued a state of emergency. There are gas line explosions and power grid failures. And they even say there's on 95, there's a huge inferno, yeah. which leads me to believe that this is all, you know, East Coast, which I don't think we got an actual I was confirmation. Thinking- but that's just that alone, that little broadcast was enough for me to say, yeah. okay. John accomplished his goal as a true villain and it was completely worth it. And he was not anticlimactic at all. It was a great villain arc. I, f- I feel like if I didn't have, if we didn't have the subtitles on when watching the TV broadcast would have went completely over my head, mm-hmm. at least early on, especially with the, the, the storms, I wouldn't have, I probably would have brushed that off as like, okay, this is random news being reported. And the Panda, like it kind of went over Paul's head a little bit too. It was lucky that we were with each other and we could kind of talk these things out. Um, I think you said it the best, Luke, like the broadcast to me was probably the best part, just coinciding, just letting you know that what is happening on this smaller scale is not just happening here. It's all around the globe. And I can't emphasize enough how well the the director did in this this scene. And I'm pretty sure was it you that mentioned this to me, too, that this episode, according to people who have read the comics, is the most accurate depiction of the comics. Next episode is six. Oh, six is okay, which is even better. Yeah. Okay. That but, makes sense though. <laughs> so in terms of the comics that comics though, I did read a little bit about people's reaction to it and comparing it to the to the source material. And they actually a lot of people say that uh I don't know I should know Lupin's actor's name, John's actor, actually did a better job at being the at being John than his counterpart in the comics. Like they they humanize him a little bit more and the, the comic book counterpart apparently is just way more unhinged crazy it's having them like just murder each other like right off the bat it's a little bit less poetic and art artsy i would say so i think people almost say that this is better than the than the chapter that it's based off of or the the issue and i can believe that because i fucking fell in love with john so i what you exactly what you said the humanity side of things that john had just really brought out his character a little bit more i think so let me summarize the last couple things that happened here and i'll let you guys summarize everything after the sandman shows up because i've been talking so much but you know everything's zero to 100 
now the people that are alive, which is not Gary, are going to try and defend themselves. They're all grabbing like weapons. And then John uses his power control to, to say, yo, relax, put that shit down. And he basically punishes them. And this is where unbelievably good horror music kicks in. And they're not even trying to hide it subtly anymore. Just death music in the background. Betty starts bet. Bet starts burning her hands. Mark slams a nail through his hand. Judy cuts off her. She cuts off her forearm tattoo. Marsh cuts his fingers off. He's like chopping them off. And then Kate, I think, just slits her own throat next to her dead husband. But this part is just fucking insane. And Bet comes out as the main character of the diner people and asks him, like, what the hell is going on here? Why is this a better world? And then that's when John gives the great line about saying, you can't you can't see it. You got to close your eyes. And she instantly, with no hesitation, just stabs herself in the eyes, lights out. And then that is when the whole fate scene happens and the Sandman enters. And the, the fates came out of nowhere for me, but it was still awesome as he's trying to get his future. But just as soon as Dream shows up, it's just a whole entire tone shift. Exit light. <laughs> you said enter Sandman. And it's like, come on. All I can think about after watching episode six is, damn, dude, death is busy. Death is having a fucking hell of a time right now because mm-hmm. uh, John is freaking out. Imagine um, being one of like, for instance, let's say you're the um, uh, the CEO. You get pulled up and you see the events of everything because those people, you know, when when death meets them, they still have a chance to kind of look at themselves, like reflect on their life a little bit and they can see the events of what's going on. These people are getting sent to even like either to heaven or hell. And they're just their last image is just of a whole bloodied diner. It's got to be crazy. It was horrible. I feel bad for these people because, like I said, they just went into a diner all unassuming and then they fucked each other and killed each other in a very gruesome way. It was, I don't know this, this whole episode did it for me because it was so like, I, I know this is going to wind up being such a standalone little thing. And Luke, you've used the word anticlimactic about John and his story arc. Uh, And I agree. I hope he's not dead. So I feel like he's still on the board for later use, but I, I feel like they just kind of put a bow on it so well in this little thing. And they use this, little diner to show what's going on in the world, which I'm still like coming to that appreciation because I learned that on the pod. But uh, yeah, I also love that they already brought back the fates and I hope that the fates are just going to continue to be players in this show. And what they tell him is so perfect. If you're the fates and this horrible person, John asks, Hey, what is my future? They said, uh, you come from, Oh my gosh, you come for the ground, you'll walk the ground and you'll return to the ground, which is essentially everybody's existence ever. You're going to be born, you're going to live, you're going to die. And then he's like, nah, for real, what am I going to do? And they say, you're going to crush the dream Lord's life in your hands, which, Mm, you know, is is technically true, uh, but was not exactly what John wanted in the end. Yeah. So that's what open dialogue now for the rest of the episode, the whole face off because dream just pulls him right into into the dreaming after saying like, this is not humanity. Humanity has dreams. They don't have this evil in them unless you pull all the hope away from him, which is a common theme that he used against Brianna Tarth, um, Lucifer talking about hope when he won the challenge. So it's it's clearly hope is synonymous with dream. That's like his realm. That's his power source almost. And that's what makes dream the endless i have two 
things that I wasn't super, I was a little disappointed with, but I mean, overall, this episode was phenomenal, and I don't even want to take away from the episode because these things can possibly get answered later on, Um, but since we kind of, you know, finished up, the one thing that I was bummed about not seeing was what happened to Rosemary, right? Because we're so on train that Rosemary is going to come back. Her daughter's going to come back into play. Um, and also just her last scene where she says, you know, like, I'm going to regret this, but like, do you need to ride somewhere? You know, what happened there? You know, I want to see what happened. I want to see, did she get home safe? Did the amulet of protection save her from not being able to lie? You know, can, was she unaffected? Mm, that's a good um, question. And so I'm saying hopefully that gets answered later on in the season because she can still come back and play. Mm. And then two, um, we saw John use the Ruby a lot, right? I mean, he was, he went in basically did whatever he wanted in the dreaming. Um, But we didn't get to see how John altered the Ruby. So only Mm -hmm. the Ruby only obeyed him and not, and not dream. I wanted to see that so badly. I wanted to see him, you know, learning what the Ruby was, why he stole it, you know, and actually this, this human somehow altered this part of uh, a God, you know, the endless, you know, he altered a part of the endless because dream always says these objects are me in a different form. Mm-hmm. Like how the, how the hell could a human do that? That's, that's crazy to me. He, he must've been like obsessed with this thing, which he obviously was and studying it. So hopefully John wakes up from the endless sleep and comes back or we get a flashback. Yeah, definitely want John to come back in the story. But while you're saying that whole thing, I agree they didn't answer it and they might not get a chance to touch on it, but at least they didn't create a plot hole in just ignoring it and having dream, take it back and be able to use it. He had to be the one to crush it to release the power. So that, that was okay that it didn't create a plot hole. It's just left something to be desired. Definitely. You can totally see the, maybe not Rosemary in particular coming back, but the amulet, just can't not be out there and not make an appearance again. You know, I could, I could see us getting reacquainted with the amulet, but in the hands of someone else, maybe Sarah, the, uh, the daughter who also could is, be yeah. Joanna's ex. Yeah. yeah so <laughs> I, I love the, the thought process there, Paul, cause you're right. Like would the amulet of protection help her in this situation? Would she have been able to lie her way through everything um, in those situations or was she also being affected? Mm-hmm. So that would have actually been a good little piece of perspective for at because least I, I assume that the ruby only affected the waking realm. You know, all the demons in hell, they were fine. Mm-hmm. They weren't getting, you know, forced to tell the truth or anything like that. Yeah. And that's kind of jumping into episode six a little bit. But like, you know, the the humans, the waking realm is what the endless are there to help. So it would make sense that, you know, you can't use the ruby to affect, you know, demons in hell. Yeah. But the whole dream sequence, like dream pulling him into the dreaming was pretty badass. He's like, if you're going to take down the king of dreams, you're going to do it in his realm and just like whips him in. And they just had to remind, you know, because you, you always forget how good is the CGI of the show? I don't know. We're in a diner. <laughs> but oh, my fucking God. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Like the, everything was crazy in the dreaming. And it, it this sequence felt the most like a real dream I've ever like that the that it's shown so far like things are jumping and nothing's really making sense mm-hmm. he's trying to hook up with his mom at some point because ethel's looking bad you know in the mask <laughs> and stuff like all this crazy shit's happening and it ends with him being in the iconic throne room and just flexing the ruby powers just this whole sequence was the first time where emphasis on the dreaming is is what i felt 
I had zero doubts in my mind when John was using the, it was badass how he was kind of just like holding it there and sucking the life force out of dream. Luke over here was like, no fucking way. This is about to happen. I was like, you're right. There's no fucking way. Like well, I, Dave was confident. I'll yeah. give him that. He's like, he's good. Was it not happening though? I, I, I was under the was. impression was. that, yeah. yeah, that dream was literally getting the life sucked out of him and was like on the verge of being destroyed. It was, uh, he, it, I took it as that as well. Like he was actually being like, looking back, I can agree with you saying that it was probably actually happening. And then maybe it was all of his power was built up into this amulet. And then once the amulet was crushed, dream was fully back to, let's say how, how you've been saying that um, dream references the vestments as a part of him. Now that he's combined with one of the vestments and it was destroyed, maybe that power just all got unleashed at once and combined totally. with him. Totally. I love that. You know, the, he separated, you know, in all these different parts and then John sucks them all together and he's like, big mistake, dude. It's yep. the first time I've been fully together. It's like a uh, Boros from One Punch Man, how he wears the suit of armor and then One Punch Man breaks it and he's like, oh, you just destroyed the only thing keeping me from destroying like everything. And he just levels up to like infinity and yeah. of course loses to One Punch Man. How'd that fight treat you? I thought it was good. The CGI, of course, was good. I guess my question is the sequence of events is he gets completely absorbed. Then the ruby gets crushed. And I guess my question is, do the vestments still exist or is dream himself without any vestments just but with the power of the vestments? Because then that brings up what's the benefit of having his powers in physical objects as opposed to just being the shit all the time. So off of that. I was thinking the same thing, like with the ruby, you know, why make the ruby if it's only, you know, basically having training weights on you, like pulling you down. But with the helm, I would say, and the sand, he wouldn't, it almost seems like he wouldn't be able to do that stuff. Like he wouldn't be able to see whatever he wanted. He wouldn't be able to see where the ruby was unless he used a part of him to make that helm. Mm -hmm. But I agree. Like now that the ruby's gone, like, like what does that mean does that mean he can just make his own dreams come true like it's it's almost ambiguous the the lines of of how he separates himself and then the powers that go along with it mm -hmm. yeah i guess i guess my question was only relative to the ruby they didn't establish that with the with the helm or the sand but i think yeah. it's still a valid question that they didn't really explain yeah but if he doesn't have a ruby and he still has all his powers then that is the assumption he's now one yeah. with the ruby maybe the vestments like amplify certain parts of specific parts of his powers and so yeah it's still tough to answer your question but maybe they just get amplified when they're not just a part of him maybe he can focus them all into mm -hmm. one object um mm -hmm. Not but, a great answer, but yeah. I, I agree. It could be an amplifier thing, but until we get more information, it's just guesswork. Um, but I do want to let's kick us through to the to the episode six because we're getting we're getting close and I wanna I feel like we're gonna break down a lot more of the dialogue there. Mm -hmm. Um after Dream puts I think he didn't he didn't say he put him into the endless sleep, but I think it's what he did because he kind of says sleep well i won't kill you he specifically says that because he doesn't blame him for being corrupted by the ruby over the I, lifetime which was cool because i I'm think glad, that does leave him on the table i'm glad you specified that because i didn't think they used the or 
that dream used the term endless sleep. So I was under the impression he was just like, I'm not going to kill you. You're going to learn your lesson. I'm going to keep an eye on you. If you ever get out of your lane again, you're fucking dead. So I feel like he's just going to wake up and be a human and probably make another bad decision, become a villain again. No, he did say sleep well, like you're not. I, it, to me, it implied that he wasn't waking up. Okay, not, cool. I guess too. another, this just has got my mind running a little bit with the, the idea that the Ruby's destroyed now, if hypothetically dream did want to replace that vestment with another Ruby, John would be a good person to reference because John has a lot of knowledge about how obviously the Ruby works. And so maybe eventually down the line, someone could awake John. He might um, need him at one point. That'd be yeah, cool. be kind of like Azen from bleach. You need yeah, exactly, him for yeah. a reason. Get him out. Yeah. But okay. That ends. And then we could just have a quick scene of just Dream and Matthew talking about the damage that's done to the world, which again emphasize how emphasize how great John was. Um, he said this is gonna be the first night, probably since nineteen twenty nine, whatever he got caught, nineteen nineteen around then, that humanity will sleep perfectly well because this is the first time everything's intact. And then we get our our quick shot of desire saying, I'm watching you, big brother. Crazy scene. Desire was like hardcore definition of like an anime villain design, mm-hmm. which is like the crate. It reminded me so much of Hisoka just off the oh, bat yeah. for some reason. All mm-hmm. I know about these two episodes is that I cannot commit the bandwidth to even think about desire at this point in time, because yeah. what they show us here, I'm just like his appearance. What is his deal? And then what they show us at the end of episode six, I'm just like, I can't. They're going to show me more when they want to show me more, Let's, but no yeah. theories, no nothing. This dude's crazy. Let's discuss that at the end of six because it just that we don't have any information to really work with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like yeah. that you brought up um, that that was the first night in a very like in a, whatever it was, a hundred plus years yeah. that everyone was able to sleep well because episode six immediately opens up with Dream talking to his sister in the park. And for me, I was like, where is the chaos? You know, like millions of people just died. And then we have all these people like wandering about acting as if nothing happened, which I didn't catch that what you had said about this was the first night of sleep that people had gotten. So I guess that kind of helps me balance out that feeling of why is everything not still in absolute chaos? And there's no confirmation that there wasn't months of time skip. Yeah. And it I think they should have just elaborated maybe a little bit more in episode six. This was probably my biggest like complaint of both of these episodes is that mm-hmm. they could have done a little bit of a better job, maybe elaborating on how the people like humans recovered from that event a little bit better because we don't, they don't really talk about it at all. Like, we get a lot of like dream conversation with his sister. And then obviously the whole hundred year time skip, another one <laughs> that we get um, in later in the episode. So that was my one complaint. Wasn't a big deal, but um, be, it gets answered with what you had said. So we're going to go back to the formula a little bit less scene by scene like I was just doing. To This will be a little bit more open dialogue, but episode six, the sound of her wings, like you're saying, open discussion about everything from the park bench all the way until they leave where she says, tells Franklin, I'll see you again very soon. So any other things you guys want to bring up there? The park just, bench scene? Park bench all the way until they leave the park. Yeah, cool. The storytelling in half an episode is nuts, right? Oh, I'll see you soon, Franklin. Mm-hmm. You're like, what the fuck does that mean? Like, okay, cool. You're going to go on a date with me? And then like how it wraps up, um, just the idea of it. Because, you know, we have so many, through so many different stories, so many different genres, whether it's books, movies, whatever, so many different 
ideas of what happens when you die. This is a really unique one. It seems like to me, just this person that, you know, do, wait, 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 do I know you? And, mm-hmm. and then, you know, you, you just all put it together and you realize where you are and what happened. Um, really cool. The fact that death is this really heartfelt, deep, emotional, and, and, and logical thinking person is such a curveball. You know, I was expecting the Grim Reaper in a robe and like she's amazing i think she's a top three character for me but did you how into this like did you think she was death walking away from this specific scene uh i it's hard to i i think towards the i think i only knew she was death when she walked into the old guy's place yeah yeah and like a little bit uh, like it was the the classic paul move where i call it five seconds before they explain it Mm -hmm. on the screen so it doesn't really count um, when I knew that she was a sibling when they were on the bench and kind of yeah. talking, just, just the way they were talking, but I didn't once think death. I was thinking I, her, her necklace had like that. Um, Almost it's like, like a pharaoh's. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So like, I, I was trying to, I was like, I don't know exactly what that means, but I was not thinking that for some reason. Did you know B Tom's probably, <sighs> I want to say I was thinking death, but same as Paul. Like once we walk into the old guys, that's where I was just like, I knew it. It was death the whole time. <laughs> but like, that's that's where it was. Me and Luke were um, going back and forth. Like, who is it? Is yeah. it death? Is it destiny? Is it despair? destiny? Yeah, but destiny was the other one. I'm looking back on what I was saying, but it was right when she actually grabs the apple. I was like, oh, poison apple, death, you death know, kind of, yeah. <laughs> Because I was thinking of Death Note, obviously, the uh, Adam and Eve story. And so I was like, ah, but that was like a throwaway guess. I had no idea that it was death at that point. But I was like, oh, Apple could be death. And it was. And yeah, I was going back and forth between the two. But it was implied that she was a sibling because she says you're as bad as because he's he's all brooding and like reflecting on his life. He doesn't have a purpose anymore. And she's like, yo, chill the fuck out. Get up. You got a purpose. Go find it. And then she's like, you're as bad as desire. So I knew it wasn't desire. And then when she talks to Franklin, she says, I'll see you very soon. And to me, I was like, okay, that's destiny. Like she's like destined to see him again. Or is it actually (laughs) Mm -hmm. death? I was so back and forth until the next couple of scenes. And the one thing I want to comment is how good she is with interacting with humans and uh, dream even comments. And I feel like he makes a comment to suggest that he's a little bit jealous of how just naturally her interactions with humans come aside from how comforting she is when she's actually leading them to die. Like even when she had the interaction with the apple, like just because of how bubbly and pleasant she was, he was just like, Oh, I'll have it for free. And I'm not sure if that's her like godly powers. Just like, I'm not paying for this shit. Tell me it's a present. <laughs> or if like, uh, you know what I'm saying. I yeah. appreciated her interactions with human, but even more so how Dream commented almost to the point of jealousy. Like it really comes naturally for you, doesn't it? That's something that's been a highlight of the show so far for me is how his perception of humanity is always changing. Huge theme. It, yeah, definitely. Well, we were going through it, especially with the Constantine, um, Joanna Constantine storyline of him saving, you know, finally saving her girlfriend. Um, it's like he didn't even think of it. It's it's not like he was like, oh, I could save her, and I don't like want to because that's a waste of time. It's like he's he's not even processing it. Um, it's almost like he's focused on the big picture, right? The big Beneath picture, his position, basically. Yeah, it's yeah. like big picture, safe humanity. But like you know, you zoom in, 
by saving her, that's one small step of saving humanity, but he doesn't realize that. Mm -hmm. Um, To continue on, you know, with this episode, with episode six, death is like giving him a reason to continue on and and not just think of yourselves, you know, we're we're made for them. You know, we exist because of them. Um, It's, it's really cool because not only is it giving him fuel to go on, you know, he's sitting there thinking, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I'm unhappy. I did everything I needed to. And now I don't know, like, what the fuck am I supposed to just sit here and feed pigeons? Now he has a, a reason to continue and it's, character changing completely it's like a reason to go on and completely changing almost how he views the world yeah no you you nailed it uh she's like mocking dream and she's like oh why don't you ever ask me like how i'm doing like what am i up to and he's like how are you my sister it's like (laughs) shut the fuck up and just give us the name drop already we get it we get it like three minutes later anyway but it's like no one in their right mind refers to their sibling as my sister my brother so i'm glad you said that line specifically because they're painting dream as such a broody guy but you can see like someone like his sister has already gotten through those walls and when he breaks the veil he's like how are you my sister and he gives her like the little smile that you know is only earned if you know a guy like dream for that long i live for his little smiles do we want to love it did you want to walk us through the the, yeah i'll I'll outline the next couple scenes but we're not walking away from that bench scene without just talking about how cool both of them with the catch the anime catch of the (laughs) the soccer ball are you fucking kidding me are you kidding me just like your friend there (laughs) yeah that's insane um okay so let's just talk about that whole walk with the apple they have some really good dialogue i'll say a quote or two here and then also let's open it up to that specific old man dying um and then you see her fly away with her wings death actually takes him to the what is it called the sunless lands sunless lands Yeah. yeah so the one thing i need to bring up and it's been driving me crazy is they're catching up, right? And he's saying, like, did you miss me? They're like, yeah, like the family got together one time. Desire missed you because the Desire loves to have the, the sparring match at dinner. Blah, blah, blah. He says any word of the prodigal. And she says, no, you and the prodigal have been missing. And if you don't know what that word means, just I just Googled it. It was just I know what it means, but I wanted it in context of like what they're talking about. And it has its own definition in terms of uh, religion and and the Bible. So it's even more relevant for this. And it just means the wayward son who squanders his his inheritance, but returns home to find that his father has forgiven him. So that to me seems like a fallen angel. But at the same time, I don't think as fallen as Lucifer because Lucifer is at war with the creator in heaven. So I'm hoping that the prodigal could be another angel or something. Although if they are all siblings, then you got to assume the creator is their parent. And if we're referring to sons, then we could assume Lucifer. I'm going along with the Lucifer thing because you just presented this whole prodigal definition and I'm just like Lucifer. That's nailed on. Or there is another sibling who has crossed the creator. But they're missing too. So that's key. And it doesn't. Yes. And it, she didn't imply at like the family dinner. It wasn't. I don't know. I, I'm. This is Miss, the, this is the line that's been sticking with me. Missing, as in like nobody knows where they are. Missing right. from family functions, because that could describe Lucifer. Because that goes back into directly what was said in episode one. Is like you don't want to be like. Remember when Lucien gets cut off by uh, by Dream? He's like, oh, you don't like everyone thought you disappeared, just like, and he's like, 
none of that. So I think the prodigal could definitely be related to that person that Lucien was referring mm. to in episode one. Now yeah. that you've brought up all this information, I think that clicks pretty well, actually. I think yeah. the prodigal will be good. Prodigal son, you know, that's that is the first thing that I think of. Yeah. Um, you definitely nailed it. I don't know what it was. All I was thinking was, I'm so ready to know mm-hmm. more. I just want to see the families get together. Like all the endless just chilling. Mm-hmm. They start spewing so many names here. They say the prodigal, they're like Hobbs, and he's like, Oh, I'll go see him next. And it's like just give me some, give me some faces. Yeah. I want to. I need some faces for these names because they're dripping uh, the world building, man. Dripping. Yeah, they're really well, doing we, that. Well, we do see Hob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying, at the time, <laughs> at the time, faces. it was like they were saying so many names that we hadn't been introduced yeah. to, and I was yeah. a little overwhelmed at first. So, anything else that stuck out for you guys for that first scene with the old man dying? Just very beautiful. Honestly, it was a really well done scene. I think this. Off the top of my head, this might be my favorite iteration of death I've seen so far. Uh, it's just, I thought it was really well done how he's playing the violin. And she's like, oh, you know, I think he's, she says that's Mozart. And um, obviously she would be well acquainted with Mozart and his works because not only did she live in the time, but she probably was also the one to lead him to heaven or whatever. So um, just really well done. Got me very much in my feels, especially the next two deaths that we'll get to oh my god we were crying yeah we were, me and luke were on the couch we're just like cuddled up we're just like it's so sad <laughs> dude it was so sad just them realizing even even the old man him realizing what it actually is going on he's like i, I need a second i need I, I need one second and like every everybody's reaction to it it is really heartbreaking i think it was you or b tom said it whenever she she was like come on like you know who i am and like they kind yeah. of get that look on their face like oh shit like i know who you are like that was so impressive i thought i absolutely adore that whenever death is actually taking them to the sunless lands dream like turns around yeah like, he, he's like this is a very intimate act i shouldn't be a part of it i'm not gonna even look you're gonna go do your thing i was you like that's woof. yeah like it's just so so nice it's it's part of the protocols the second death scene tore me up more than even the baby death scene i don't know why because we didn't get the reactions of the mother from the baby scene if we had yeah. it would have been sadder but this no, one, the proposal definitely dude, dude the honey it, they were on their honeymoon and it, yeah bro, that, that, i'm sorry that one, i was just I like oh get he's me like, to the next scene please yeah he's like come on like not right now like it's now's not the time and she's like it is like you got to come now and i think was she saying that just so he wouldn't see the reaction of like the wife coming up and seeing his body or was it just because like it was in that moment that he had drowned you know i think so because of the baby thing right like she's she's got a schedule that the mother i i agree with paul she's got a schedule he died then and there it's not Mm. although i feel like like she kind of had some wiggle room with the old guy to let him say his prayer maybe yeah you got you got like five seconds and that's it (laughs) and she was giving him that five seconds you know she was like come on you gotta go he's like i gotta talk to my fiance or my wife i guess god so sad you know what that fucker reminds me of bass hunter a bass hunter music videos (laughs) wow yeah he's he's going to propose the whole time and then his his uh, girlfriend goes out in the ocean, and guess what? She never comes back. Well, spoiler, she does. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it was just feels galore, and I was 
by myself. I didn't have anybody on my couch to cuddle with me. Yeah. And I was also under the influence. And I was like, this is the worst Friday night ever. <laughs> I have one tiny complaint was that the husband definitely caught a Frisbee or a football when death showed up. And that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. But I, I think the soccer player had the ball too. Like, I don't think it's, and didn't he have his violin when he initially okay, was there? Yeah. Like, I don't yeah. think that matters. Small complaint. That's all I wanted to bring up. Yeah. We can Easily explained away. So we're yeah. good there. Yeah. Comment on the baby scene. I don't want to throw, I don't want to say anything about it. <laughs> it was sad. really sad. It's just showing us like from perspective perspective. She's doing the same thing for everybody. Mm-hmm. Old man, middle of your life, beginning of your life. You know, it, how- it sucks. I love how even the baby knew who she was because she's kind of talking to the child and she's like, Mm -hmm. yes, unfortunately, like it is your time. I know your time on here, like wasn't that long lived, but that's all you get. Little one. I was like, no, not (laughs) the baby. And then the mom's like, all right, dinner time or whatever. Daughter, are you there? Horrible. Next. Someone's cutting onions, but that takes us to, they highlight where death is a relief with, uh, I guess the one dude just got mugged or something. Am I skipping too far? No, no, no. Let's do all the death scenes and then I'll bring us back to some of the quotes. But yes, that is one of them. One dude either got shot or mugged and was bleeding out. And then he kind of has this look on his face of relief when he knows the eyes meet. He's like, it's my time. I'm good. And that was relief to him. And then, of course, the person ODing in the forest living out of a 10. um, The hospice girl, too. The hospice girl, like that is relief in that instance. And then I think that's where we get death's narration saying, you know, no matter the circumstance, they will accept my gift. And they Mm -hmm. always refer to it as a gift. And when Dream and her are talking about it, they talk about it in a positive light. And Dream says something like it's as natural part of existence as being born i'm not sure why they fear it and i feel like that's kind of the whole point of the episode is that these godly figures are so above it all like you said that he he can't even comprehend wanting to exist forever in life in reality because he's like i'm a god i know there's better shit than this uh but he just couldn't understand and that kind of leads us to the whole reason behind his experiment because he was so cocky as to believe Nobody wants more than 100 years of existence in this. It's disgusting. It's hard. And sure enough, humanity says, bring it the fuck on, because I cannot emphasize enough how much I would be Rob Gatling. But we're (laughs) going to get there. We are going to get there. Um, I just I I really, really, really liked this episode. It made me think a whole lot of things about mortality. And just I think I agree with you, Dave. This is one of the most like beautiful, just best ways I've ever seen death portrayed. Um, mm-hmm. And the actress that got to play death is is just like the best. So friendly face. All she needs is a friendly face when it's time. So some things to bring up. You nailed a lot of that. Like she does also try and reemphasize to dream flashing back to the beginning of the episode that the purpose of them being there is their function like what they're doing as the endless it's meant for humanity and like that should be enough of a reason to want to continue to exist you don't need a grand quest so that was a huge takeaway from him for him and it kind of comes full circle when she does show back up at the park to get franklin after he gets hit by the car so that was just like all of the actual death stuff itself but there's some other dialogue here that i want to bring up and get your guys thoughts on it unless so if you guys have anything else specifically about the deaths you good okay so one of the things that I want to talk about is how death says to dream, 
I'm not, I'm not there for everyone. I'm pretty much, I pretty much am there for everyone, but there's some exceptions. So two things here. One, she name drops Mad Hetty, which is awesome. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's cool. Cause you know, she's going to be a person, I guess now a character that's relevant. And then obviously, yeah. obviously Hobbs gets talked about Hob Gadlin gets talked about here, but like, yeah, I don't know if you guys want to comment on the Mad Hetty thing, but that was just cool to just already throw it back. Fucking love it because she said she's what? 200. 16 260 years old i don't know can't remember the yeah. exact number um and i'm thinking you know how is she doing this she probably did something to dip dodge and avoid death where like death just doesn't even know where she is can't find her uh or just completely rejected it altogether but it's so cool because she knows all about dreams so that makes sense she knows all about death or like one of the other endless and how to you know avoid it or not accept again you know say just mm-hmm. return to sender she so. the way they talk about her she certainly seems to be an accepted part of whatever they got going on they're just like yep she's that's her bag i, I want to know why <laughs> yes, yes but no further comment about her i'm so glad the name dropped it I was reading Reddit after I watched this episode because I couldn't get enough on discussions of non-comic spoilers. I just wanted discussion around it because I thought this was such a great episode. So something people were asking was when she said that line about there being a couple of exceptions of people she's not there for their deaths and she name drops two immortals, I'm going to guess, where people were wondering, does that mean that she is quite literally by the side of every human every life in the universe that dies. And the answer is yes. She just like when she's saying there are a few exceptions, she quite literally means like those are two of the only exceptions that she will never be at their de- at their deathbed. Um, and that kind of got into a higher level conversation about what the endless are and to not be like spoilery, but at the same time, give concrete information. The endless are always almost everywhere. It's just the 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 viewpoints we're getting in the show is just like a um uh, a concentrated version of the, like their their consciousness because dream needs to be in the dreams of everyone around the world sleeping. Yeah. Death needs to pick up everybody. So everyone that was kind of confirmed. Everyone has exactly. A so like yeah. it is meant to be taken literally that like they are everywhere at all points. It's just the main things that are happening in the show are experienced from a centralized version of their essence. And, and that that's, help- what the, that's what being the endless is means you can you can be everywhere in the universe pretty much. And that helps with the teleportation talk that we were having in the last episode. Like, how can they just like kind of pop around? Yeah. It's just like they're just already there, essentially, is what it sounds like. So that answers that question, which was really good to know. And to add another piece of confirmation on that. Do you know, how, like I, I mentioned earlier in the podcast run that this is DC related, right? Like these these characters are DC characters. There is a point in one of the comics where, you know, you guys know Martian, the Manhunter from the Justice League. He literally has a dream on Mars and meets Dream in the comics. That's so that's sick. just like yeah. meaning that it's not just Earth, it's everywhere. And that's why death scenes were sl- or her quotes were slapping when she's saying, I'm going to I'm going to flick the lights out of my way out when the last living thing in the universe dies. She doesn't mean on Earth. She means in the universe. And all of that just makes the endless even cooler and they are true omnipotent omnipotent yeah. omnipotent omnipotent yeah they would all, they would all uh, i was trying to off. be like um omnipotent isn't wrong it's just not yeah <laughs> yeah tomato <laughs> um, tomato so it's not just about humanity then 
Is that, is that what you're running? The waking, it's about the waking realm. So I, w- I was saying like uh, the endless are around to help humanity exist or whatever. But it's not just humanity if it's, you know, all over the universe. Because I was thinking like if animals die, like all right, does death go up to those animals and help them move on? Yeah, and my initial thought was well, my initial thought was no, it's just humans and humanity. But now that you say, you know, if if the endless are affecting Martians, you know, they're not humans, so maybe animals. If a squirrel wants a nut, you better believe desire is going to be right there next to that <laughs> squirrel telling him to get that nut. It's <laughs> hot. But I think we can close the book on it. Beautiful fucking mm-hmm. like couple scenes, just a great character. Yeah. Death is awesome. Yeah. Let's get into. Oh, yeah. Before we leave it, I want to officially be on Paul's side saying they kept saying humanity, humanity, humanity. So I was under the impression that's where they're. Yeah. Focus. Uh, focus effects stop. Like that's where their sovereignty stops. Yeah. It could be a especially since the comics, though. Like it doesn't have to be one for yeah. one. That's especially like, since the point of this episode specifically was we're here for humans to help them. Yeah. yeah. I don't I'm know. I'm sticking with that. I think the show just humans. We can continue, though. I yeah. just wanted to say I agree with Paul's questions. So that was a really, really good way to kind of transition us into dreams case study with preserving someone that's a life for hundreds and hundreds of years to see what happens. The man needs no introduction. Hobbes is the fucking goat. And how we're going to do this is we're just going to talk about it century by century and just kind of let it play itself out because flashing back to 1389 and I don't even know how it's possible, but somehow dream looks like an emo version of Severus Snape. Who's already emo looking. So it's just incredible. Just seeing them walk through this old time tavern called the white horse tavern, I believe tavern of the white horse. And this is, you guys can kind of, I've been talking a lot, so you guys can take it, but this is our first introduction to this arguably coolest plot line of any TV show, like in a single episode ever. I, just keep thinking what if you were just this dude flapping your gums in some 1389 pub and you say the right thing at the right time within earshot of two godly figures who are just trying to fuck around and see what they can do this is something i have pondered this question would i ever want to exist forever and I always say, yes, I cannot perceive myself ever wanting to die. And I know that's not the truth for a lot of people, but I think a lot of human uh, humanity follows that premise. You know, we will fight tooth and nail to avoid death. And I think for better or for worse, life is the shit. I don't ever want to die and be six feet under. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is counterintuitive to the overarching point where the gods are just like, why do they fear it so much? And it's like, I don't even know if I fear it, but. I fucking want to live, man. <laughs> you said it. He got, he was just the right place, right time. I was this, this random dude is just talking about, he's like, I'm going to live forever. And all of his friends are just shitting on him. Like, there's no way death's coming for all of us. And he's like, not me. And who else but dream goes up to him and makes his wish come true. And so good. I have just chills. I don't even think I'm going to be able to speak properly on these scenes because I this might be one of my favorite scenes in like all of television, Brandon, to be honest. Dude, yeah. Just like the questions that get brought up, just the questioning of your own mortality. And like B Times was saying, 
would I want to do this forever? I, I think at the start of this episode, I probably would have said no. But after seeing how positive Hobbs is about it, like, fuck it, sign me up for a little bit of immortality, man. He was just such a joy to get introduced to. I never pictured myself or the the episode at least going in this direction. And wow, did it just completely deliver on all cylinders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Hobbs, definitely highlight of this episode for me. Death, awesome. Hobbs, mm-hmm. awesomer. Like his his <laughs> attitude, his story is just so funny. Um, but before I get into him too much, my like second favorite takeaway of this scene was, and Luke already said it, dream looks different. And I was like, I love that because, you know, we've already seen dream kind of change his appearance for, you know, the, the tribe of the first people. Um, but it's cool because it's like these endless don't really care about time. Right. You know, he spent a hundred years in a basement without saying a word because it was nothing to him. But, but at the same time, he's like bored. He wants style, right? Like, so he, he actually changes up his own thing. It gives a different layer to him. It's not just like he's set on the one thing, but over time, you know, he does get a little bored and he does want to change up his look. I just, I think that added such a cool aspect to him. And I don't know if that was a thing in the book or not. That could have been like just a cool idea for the show, but I think it adds so many more layers to him when you think about it. B times you were you were winding it up over there. What's up? <laughs> I was because I was literally thinking today. I was just like, just because he lives forever, like doesn't mean a hundred years of existence doesn't like a hundred years is a hundred years is a hundred years, no matter how long you live, like that shit would still impact him. That would still be wildly unpleasant for him. Mm-hmm. That would suck. And I think since we established on the podcast episode one, oh yeah, that was nothing to him. I don't think it was nothing to him. Grand scheme, like didn't take any years off his life, but his relationship, that, no, man. you're actually that, very true. It's very, you're, what you're saying is very true because that was the catalyst for all of this character development as an, as a God. Yes. Yes. And also yeah. there was the Joanna Constantine thing where like when she put two and two together and looked up at him, you could tell he was sensitive about it. Like that was, Nah, man, that fucked me up that hundred years. That was me in the basement. I did not enjoy it. He just has the willpower to not show it outwardly that it sucked. Yes. That's why I said, like, he's earned my respect more than a lot of characters because he he did that willingly. Like, he was just like, all right, hundred years. I'm keeping it shut. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, legend, dude. Uh, Two things that I liked in this scene that were just subtle background dialogue was the one thing was awesome. It was dream talking to death. And he says that it's like, we're like middle medieval time, right? Like 1389, maybe a little bit after like game of Thrones time. But he says to her, I hear the fairies are talking about abandoning the earth realm, which is just cool as shit. Because (laughs) if there were fairies on earth and they left, you would never be able to know if it was around that time they decided to leave. Maybe they went to the sunless lands. Maybe they went to the dreaming, like they could have went anywhere. And it's just, that was just cool. Fairy uh, fossils. We don't get any of that. Exactly. Fairy and does. another thing that I saw that this is a very, very like reliable uh, translation to the from the source material, both all of the death scenes and all of the hob scenes. And pe- one of people's favorite inside jokes that happens. And again, I'm saying this secondhandedly. I could be wrong, but this is just what I read from some redditors talking about it. Is every time in the comics it shows a new century. 
you hear the same little quip in the corner right when he's walking in and it's something about oh they're raising the taxes again yeah this place needs a new revolution and they don't do it every century here but they do it for at least three of them including this one and the last one 19 or yeah 1989 so it's just cool that they they didn't do it for every single one but they still kind of tried to keep that piece there is the saying does the saying go life death and taxes Life, death, and taxes. Because three that's... Things you, three things are unavoidable in life. Life, The death, elements of this episode is yeah. life and death are unavoidable. And taxes is the joke that they <laughs> shoot in there. Wait, so that's genius. I feel like that yeah. maybe is what they And they also make a, um, a specific joke about like a rabbit or something in the first 1389 and then again in 1989. So they did a, they nice. did good with the chatter in the background of the, patron, of the bar, just patrons, so... Um, let's get to the next hundred yeah, let's, because let's it skip, ends, this century ends with uh, I think Dream says alright then I'll see you in another hundred years and the guy's like yeah sure like hundred <laughs> years whatever and yep. then a hundred years go by and he's like what the fuck is going on like, <laughs> I'm still young I have like all my friends are dead like mm-hmm. I'm still here what are you yeah 1489 baby this one's this one's probably the quickest one so if the year of our lord 1489 <laughs> No, this was kind of one of my favorites because this is where once he gets past the initial shock, why am I here? Are you a demon? And he's just like, no, I'm just interested. I want to see what your experience is like. So what's it like? And he's like, everything's changing. It's awesome. Like Jiminy's. We all just used to deal with our eyes getting watery when we walked inside. We used to just use our sleeve. Now we got claws. And that is what would motivate me to keep going. Like, if you live 100 years and don't get elderly, you're just in your 40s. Like, you would really appreciate how the world around you is changing. And this episode, man, it's so good. It's it's almost like one of the main reasons he wants to live on is pure curiosity. Like, what is the world going to be like in another hundred years? Like, I need to see what else comes mm-hmm. up, what else we invent, what else we learn. And I I definitely think about that all the time. Like, we, we say this, like, could you imagine, like, going back into the 1800s and showing somebody, a, like, a video of you're you burned at the, you're, ba- you're burned at the stake. Yeah, like, they just can't. <laughs> possibly comprehend it but but it's Hobbes is such a cool idea of a character because he's there for the whole thing he he is there for the transitions and he appreciates every little thing mm-hmm. that humanity has come up with he also says i don't know if this is historically accurate at all but on top of tissues and chimneys getting in- invented <laughs> he brings up playing cards which is awesome oh, yes. that would be yeah. that would be a game changer in the 1400s like that would be oh yeah People and then are, he also says he started a printing trade, like the yeah. printing press. He's like, yeah, like probably not going anywhere, right? Yeah. Like, it's just a small <laughs> Hasn't idea, been but... much of a demand for it. <laughs> something, something new, something fun. Probably just a well, fad. <laughs> that springs boards us 100 years in the future because in 1589, he's hit it big, presumably because of his printing trade. Um, yep, moving on to 1589. Go ahead. Yeah, let's do it. Um Fresh haircut. What did he say? Yeah, he said he invested money from printing into the docks or something. King Henry's been good for him. He's making a lot of like topical references to the time, but he got knighted. He's not Hob anymore. He is Sir Robert Gadlin. Mm-hmm. And yes, his fortunes have turned and he's quite successful for himself. Is is this the line? One of the best lines in the episode where he's like, yeah, like I left and came back as my son. Like did that four times now. Yes, he's done it a couple of times. No, no, no. 
Uh, is that this part? He, yes, it is. Yes, it is. This century. He is because now he has a family. Yeah. And he's point. like, and, and he's, he's talking about like, uh, all the, all the comeuppance he's done. And I, I don't want to jump into the next one, but the next one, when he's all down low, he's like, I got too cocky. Mm-hmm. Like I lost everything. Yeah. Yeah. He has, he introduces the, his kid or at least tells dream about the kid the wife and everything and he's like you know life is great right now just a wealthy man he's eating so much he's mm-hmm. he's living it up as much as you can in 1589 he banged the queen which was yep. dope and then he also he i'm not good at um english history at all like but i know my dad loves this shit there's netflix shows about the tutors the family that's what he said he made his money off of they're like a famous royal family i think the tutors okay that sounds familiar he says like i I invested in one of their something that made them like super wealthy so that's how he got his his big money but also the william shakespeare stuff was just fucking money yes will shaxford dude (laughs) the actor for that was great too i liked it dave you were talking about mozart earlier and i wanted to bring it up but i was like not yet (laughs) but uh i was like mozart reminds me a lot about william shakespeare and this young little dude just being same thing dude a little too loud in the pub just best (laughs) thing that's ever happened to him yeah Yeah, caught the eye of one of the the endless around him and next thing you know he's a well, do you think, do you actually, did you take it as he was actually a shitty playwright and then Dream talked to him and then he became a good pr- playwright? Because I think Hobbes literally says here, he's like, oh, that's like Will Shaxbird or something. Yeah. He's like a terrible playwright. But the I guy next I- to him, and then he's like, the guy next to him, though, is like really good at playwriting. That's, that's funny because I took that initially as. Hobbes wasn't able to recognize his genius in the time. That's what I. That's what I wasn't sure. That's what I, I wanted to bring it was up. That I, think, I don't think it was that. I'll either. tell you How'd what you... it is. I think I'm pretty sure it was this. Was the fact that he Dream recognized him because he walks up to him and says like I I've seen you before. Like he knows he's seen him in his dreams. And because Shakespeare, he asked him the question like is you, is it your dream to you know change lives and create this art. And like, that's his whole thing. Dreaming, right? Like he wants to help make the dreams come true. true so yeah. the fact that he didn't care about his skill, but he cared about his ambition and mm-hmm. his aspirations and like what he hoped to do. So he helped push the creativity okay. and give him that gift. And it, yeah, that's what I took it as. Love it. That is the explanation. Yeah. Well yeah. done, Luke. Mm-hmm. I do like, um, I think it's the second time they established that every human meets dream himself in their dreams because when uh, Hob originally says, have I met you before? He says, yeah, you have, but men don't remember it in the waking realm mm-hmm. yeah, or something like that, which yeah. is cool. Yeah. Also, think about it, too. At this at this point, what is it? this is still 1589, right? Yep. He's been alive for 200 years and still does not know one goddamn thing about dream and how he yeah. was able to get his powers. He just has to sit there, explain his side of his life and just have dream listen where he, he just doesn't question anything. And this was a little bit of a painful scene because Hobbes obviously gets a little jealous that dreams wandering off with a good old Will Shaxford, whatever <laughs> his name is. And I was, I was feeling for Hobbes cause he, he found himself a buddy these 200 years he to go drinking with. I didn't feel too bad. The waitress came with another plate of lamb. He oh, looks true. at his pool table and is like, yeah, bring on the lamb. <laughs> I was totally expecting the next hundred years for him to be just so large but it was yeah, right. not so that's where we are. Opposite. Let's skip to yeah. 1689. And this oh, is this when is he's just best, a dirty beggar. The best year. This <laughs> is so fun. He is literally down bad. He comes in. He's like getting rejected by the bar. 
Dream tells the guards, like, okay, he's good. He's with me. He, you can let him in. And he's starving. He gets some bread in his plate. He's just wolfing it down. He's like, Dream, you don't know what it's been going on these past hundred years. Like, I had to watch my wife die during childbirth. My other son died in the war. All this shit. I lost my money. Yeah. I paid, yeah, he says I lost all every my- last second of the last 80 years. Didn't he have a line after he ate the food and he was like, you have no idea what would not the yeah. hunger from not eating for like four weeks does to you or yeah. but like keeping that. you alive at the same time yeah he's and he was also mentioned that he was tried as a witch pretty much like they tried drowning him and he was literally everything horrible you could possibly imagine helping happening to yourself happened to Hobbes and then dream proposes the question so uh do you want to die respond absolutely not I got too much to live for goes, are you crazy that's a mugs game. I got so much to live for. <laughs> the music changes. Perfect. It's all positive now. It's so good. It was phenomenal. That it was, was the instant moment where I'm like, this guy is my guy mm-hmm. from now, forever, 100 years from now. I want this man in every episode. Mm-hmm. And also, Dream's like cracking up. All right, man. Dream I'll see you in 100 years. They did a, I loved the comment about like him saying, like, what he what he says is like uh you have no idea what hunger will do to someone that can't die from starvation mm-hmm. and he says they tried to they tried to drown me as a witch and i just was thinking the whole time old guard oh, if you remember yeah. that like that's mm-hmm. that was a cool callback but the last thing that happens in 1689 that's important is finally the people that work at the bar took note of this meeting of these two people that kind of happens every year so they all they did was just draw dream talking to hops I- I don't know because it doesn't happen every year. It happens every hundred years. So how did the people 100 years ago take note to write down these two people that had only been here once in 100 years? There was no reason someone thought that the meeting of these two would have been a abnormal occurrence unless someone 100 years before was just like, hey, I know they just walked in today, but keep an eye on these two. And if you (laughs) ever see them again. Yeah, unless someone was like 119 years old in that bar and was was like, oh, I recognize those two from 100 years ago and they don't look any different. But I'm with you. Tiny little sense. I am going to play devil's advocate here. I agree with you guys. I'm going to say that Hobbes, with his drunken state earlier on, blabbed about it. And when he was drunk one time, he was like, oh, you can't kill me. I have a deal with death. I meet with him every 100 years. And then that story kind of got told and then maybe the meeting happened and somebody drew it. But yes, I agree. And I will also add to that conversation that this is just like a random rundown tavern. And as the years, as the centuries went on, this kind of Hobbes is a big wig. He was rich as fuck for a bunch of these years. Like you would kind of take note of a noble rolling into a random tavern. And maybe the fact that it happened multiple times, you're like, what is this? And then people take note of this brooding, I don't know. I, I I agree. It's weird, but whatever. They take a picture and they draw it of Hobbes and Dream, and then that plays out in our next skip to 1789, where we see Constantine's ancestor. Just really quick, though. I think this is a good time to bring it up, though. Hobbes, like, if he were to get shot multiple times, he obviously wouldn't have super healing, right? Like, that wound would just have to heal naturally over time, correct? You know. think? Couldn't tell you. Like, it's I not was... like the amulet of protection where if a gun was pointed at him, it's not like they would blow up or the gun would maybe dodge. Maybe the gun would somehow dodge him or something. I was thinking about this earlier, Dave. I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you when I was in the shower 
preparing for this podcast because I was thinking about that. I'm like, if he got his head chopped off, what would happen? And I came up with no answer. But I, think we'll I get think, an answer though, because we're going to see yeah. him in modern time. I came up. The only two theories is one: he gets his head chopped off. He can still whatever yeah. do whatever. But as soon as his head gets back on, you know, it'll slowly start to heal. He has um, to or, feel the pain, obviously, too. Like if his yes. head got cut off, because he explains it when he's drowning and yes. um, all that stuff that he experienced the pain. So, uh, the, my only other option that I came up with is death would intervene. Like death would literally come in and be like, I made sure death can't touch this guy. So I'm going to make sure the ax misses. Or like you were saying, the gun doesn't fire, it misfires or or something happens perfectly where like he literally can't be in that position because he has to deal with death. Yeah. I think we'll find out 1789 Constantine's ancestor gets the picture of this drawing a hundred years late, hundred years later and, and notices that they're talking. And so, and our our boy Hobbs is on the up, Back on the up. He's no yeah. longer in the shithole. Yep. Yeah, true that. My question is, are we 110% positive that this is her ancestor and not that? Because wasn't her name Joanna as yeah. well? Yeah. Same exact weird. name. And I'm I'm just putting it out there because when we saw her in episode three, whatever, it did not. Dream was not acting like he had oh. ever met that Joanna, but gonna, she was the same actress. They're, and they're different people just because once what you were saying joanna never met dream before she was like do i know you in in this time and she would remember back so going from that i feel like dream could have wiped her memory to make it so that she doesn't recognize him the fates conversation makes that seem wrong in i the, agree yeah. I'm, I'm trying to make it work but maybe it's i think just, it was just they like the actress Anse- yeah, yeah ancestor, ancestor that looks the same same name mm-hmm Anyway, this one's really cool because, like Dave said, he is back in his fortunes, but he got back up on his feet by joining the slave trade. Love how Dream reacts to it instantly, like as brooding as he always is. You can see his eyes just death stare at him. He says it's a terrible thing for a man to enslave another man. And he's just like, well, it's just how it is these days. And he's like, the choice to live is yours. I gave you that choice and you would take that choice away from others. And Loved like it. he needed a little bit of convincing, but he was just like, oh, OK, message received. I got Dodged you, brother. Him. I loved how receptive he was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was <clears throat> yes, well done. Um, if this being that is around and can't die says I'm doing something wrong, I got to fucking change my yeah. life. Yeah. Quick Shakespeare conversation. Dope. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I guess he was pretty talented. <laughs> eh? Yeah. Nah, I mean, at this point, Hav is definitely getting pretty casual and candid with Dream, which is which is good to see. Mm-hmm. And plus, defense his ass. Yeah, I was gonna just about to say that Hobbs obviously kicks a little bit of butt right here too, because Joanna's you know questioning them about uh, their immortality and everything, and says, "Yeah, the devil and the wandering Jew." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the devil, and I'm not a Jew. <laughs> I thought that, that was, was so funny. So stereotyping our boy out here. That was just so incredible. But I, yeah, Hobbs comes in and uh, Joanna makes a move on them. Um, but Hobbs is the one that defends Dream, even though obviously Dream doesn't need any of defending whatsoever. But Hobbs has been around for it now. It's been 500 years. So, of course, he's got to be a badass. And he's been sold. To- he said in the first couple centuries, too, he was soldiering the whole yeah. time. So that's yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah. We get to see. I like how they showed us, too, a little bit that he doesn't have a. Well, he shouldn't have a fear of going against anyone because he's not going to die anyway. But 
he took down those guards pretty handedly, I would say. And then Dream comes in for the finish and um, uses the sands. Uses the sands on Joanna. I like how Dream was like, "You didn't. I didn't need you to defend me. Mm-hmm. I would have been fine by myself." And I'm like, "Yeah, I know. We saw the soccer ball catch. <laughs> we assume you were just going to catch the the sword as it was coming at you." But. Yeah. Dude, that is one of my favorite parts of the whole episode is this the end of this century when they're talking to each other. Oh, yeah. The, it's like the true moment of like the friendship is is there. Like they kind of smile to each other. Hundred years? Hundred years. And it just kind of <laughs> ends. Like that's and then we get to the sad century. Because even because even before they mentioned that, they were just like, Oh, like people are catching on to us. We gotta be a little more careful. And like, so another hundred years, like right back here. It doesn't <laughs> doesn't matter at all. We'll be back here. Yeah. It's so yeah. dope. Yeah. Just, he says, just be careful. Yeah, that's good. And then um, we get a little bit if of we're sadness. We're cool going to 1889 and this, the year of our Lord. The year of our Lord. And we, we get introduced to this character that I, the only reason I'm bringing up Lou is because I think they, um, Lou has like weird dialogue about how she talks to him, but I'm pretty sure that was taken word for word from the comics too. So people like hardcore fans liked how she was saying, you know, let me uh get a bum rod and the butter stick shit whatever she was yeah. fucking saying like her weird dialogue i'm pretty sure it was like word for word yeah the tavern had co- changed quite a lot oh uh, yeah this is the this year point. that yeah. changed so much this was the big like cor- this is where it was starting to look a little bit more modern finally rob kind of hob kind of comes out and saves him from louise uh lushing lou and it's just kind of like ah oh, yeah crazy old lushing lou is just being crazy to you and he's just like well Actually, her cousin raped and deserted her, so she's mm-hmm. had a tough life, and that kind of like is a slap right to Hobbs' face. Uh, and then I think he says one other thing where he misjudged people's perceptions. I think it was about Joanna. He was just like, in yep. the past hundred years, I ran into her again, and she performed a task for for me quite admirably, if I do say so myself. And mm-hmm. I think Dream still- comments that. Rob has changed and Rob comments that dream has changed. And then they kind of get into this. Well, Rob is the one that brings it up. He's just like, I am Hobbs, bro. Hobbs. Yeah. But like his name was never Hobbs. It was always Hob. Yeah, but he's Hobbs. And then it was Rob. Whatever, man. Hobbs is the guy from Fast and Furious. And I lost my train of thought. No, but you were bringing up that through the argument. Yeah, it was. Um. Dream was obviously digging in about um, Hobbs's life again, changing from the slavery, days. changing, and they were ch- they, they had both changed. And Hobbs calls Dream out for changing, and then Dream kind of gets a little bit sensitive because he hasn't had that character development that we've been seeing these past you know hundred years from him being captured and his interactions with the endless and everything. So he's a little bit more sensitive, I would say. So he kind of gets offended that Hobbs, who you know was gifted immortality from him is kind of pressuring him about all these questions and how he kind of is seeing dream as a little bit lonely, even though he's an endless and that's what sets him over the edge. And he's like, I'm not lonely. I only did this as an experiment. Like I never actually needed you. And they have this huge blowout. And I was feeling for my guy, man, when dream walks out of there, Hobbs is like left alone at the the tavern. He's like, you know, I'm going to still be here in a hundred years. Uh, whether you want to show up or not is fine. I'm going to be here. And he's kind of having this like self-reflecting moment. And it's, it's sad. Says, if you come back, it's because we're friends. Yeah. And then me and Dave at this point got super sad because we knew what was oh coming. Out yeah. Dude, we were sad. <laughs> I mean, were depressing, man, but they were so good. 
so sad just because to jump to 1989 he's not there he's trapped and Mm -hmm. the absolute dread that you would feel if you were Hobbs you know a dude that literally his only thing that he can count on to to, to always be there is is dream coming back every hundred years and you're sitting there and you're thinking fuck I fucked up like I, I I he's not coming for what 30 years if that like so horrible and i was feeling for him so much and i'm sure dream was in there thinking fuck dude i should be yeah, eating I mean, hobs right now and i'm the, stuck here he's probably worried about me we get the shot of dream in in the cage he like hobs is in the bar and dream kind of like open like he was he looks up he looks up and he's like shit yeah this is the moment <laughs> that sucked but it was still awesome that they showed that moment because he's just has like a clock i don't know an internal clock he's an endless he's a god he can do whatever he wants and he just like looks up and like fuck yeah it sucks <laughs> and i hated that hobbs blamed it on himself because he had every right like again to reiterate like he this is now 600 years into the future and he still doesn't know a goddamn thing about Dream. He doesn't know that he's a god. He doesn't know what his powers are, why he still gave him the immortality. Like all these questions, like he's the only one. And he, he was in the right to kind of ask their, their, the point of their friendship had gotten to a point where he definitely was in the right to ask these questions. Yeah. And then he's blaming himself in this bar by himself. It was just so devastating because <laughs> it wasn't your fault, Hobbs. It just wasn't yeah. your fault. I feel like waiting 500 years to ask one question and have a hypothesis that you're lonely should have been justified, but instead yeah. he just got yeah. hardcore punished. But this was also where we learned, you know, 1989, I'm sorry. Yes. 1989. Yes. Yeah. 1989. Um, the bar is closing, you know, they're going to make room for some more flats, mm-hmm. I think is what they said. Um, and, the horror on Hobbs' face, you know, that just adds more to it. And I was like, I feel so bad for this dude. Because of course, Thank God, happened. we got a good end scene. Yeah, because in Hobbs's mind, it's like, okay, if Dream's not showing up, like, how will we know? What? How will he know where we're going to meet up if the bar is going to close and everything? So that just Doesn't adds another matter. layer of just depression for Hobbs and never being able to see his boy again. But what does Hobbs do other than create? his own bar in which him and dream can converse in, you know, and he did a good job of it. You saw that he spray painted arrows on the side of the abandoned yeah. building, pointing to the bar saying like this way. And it just is called the new Inn. and just, yeah, dude, this, this scene was everything when he walks in and just the genuine fucking smile that they both give each other. And then he says, he, he calls him a friend and he says, I owe you an apology. And that just is, that goes right back to what beat times, what you were saying when, when him being in that glass tube was the catalyst for all of this character development. I don't know if anything would have really changed for dream and Hobbs If this whole first half of the season didn't happen the way it did, and that wouldn't have happened without him getting caught and reflecting in that hundred years and stuff. Honestly, I don't, I could totally picture dream actually not showing like purposely not showing up without that um, happening. Yeah. yeah. It would have just been petty and shit. Yeah. Exactly. Dude. Halfway through this episode, we got the line. When Dream is leaving death, it's like, oh, I'm late for a meeting too. Like, I'll see you later. And then we got the the, the lead up to the meeting that he was late for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the final payoff of, of, you know, Hobbs just being happy, you know, looking. He sensed it too. He like, he froze and then he looked up because he just knew Dream was in. 
Um, it was such a good payoff. I was smiling like an idiot by myself in the middle oh, yeah. of the living room. It was, it was such a good story and definitely the reason why this episode is so highly rated with the, with the death story and hops together. It's just, just beautiful. I, I, and okay. There's one more thing that happens before I make the statement I was just about to say, but is we do get that quick glimpse into part two of desire in this. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming I think it's, I think it's her, their gallery, their gallery. Yeah. So their gallery and it's, it is desire, like a huge version of desire. Mm-hmm. Um, we find out that there was this huge plan and we don't know who desire is working with. It ends with them saying, something about the sit like i'll see you soon sibling no maybe it was that was that last episode i don't, I don't remember no, no, either no. way we know that the a new plan is in the works and this seems to be like the end of part one mm-hmm. all he says is my plan has fa- uh, failed but don't worry i have a new one yes but yes. he's definitely talking to someone we don't know i was looking in the i froze it i was looking around no, you yeah i don't no. see it and the gallery has remnants of a bunch of the endless we saw the necklace around death's neck it was in there we oh, it, was it? yeah um, it was that symbol that she was wearing in the park was in there and i looked like a different version of dreams mask, mask was also yeah. up there so it could have been just all of the different endless having and pieces in there i was hoping that they each had their own vestments yeah which i mean it's still it a possibility be. i guess yeah. but i thought those were theirs uh desires vestments but i guess you're you're right that yeah. one of them definitely was, was that pharaoh symbol that yeah we talked about the yu was Desire the one that Death referenced? Uh, Desire missed his sparring partner at the yep. dinner table. Okay, gotcha. So they have a history of also the fact that you know the whole, I the whole situation of Dream getting captured and not getting Death. You know, earlier on Dream said, you know, they were really going for you, and Death is like, I know, I know. The fact that this oh, was yeah. all Desires, you know, just planting seeds he was probably the one that killed roderick's son somehow earlier on to he get probably to, to me probably to get, even gave roderick the book too maybe well that's what i'm saying he yeah. was able to get the book to roderick say the wrong things get dream instead of death mm-hmm. i mean this was all desires doing so instead of the, the human error and roderick not realizing what he was doing now you can go ahead and say this was all desire fucking trying to get his desire <laughs> in, like into play I absolutely agree. I think that's 100% what happened. And I'm going to take it a step further and say that I think Desire helped Corinthian escape to pull Dream into the real world and get caught. Like, I, I don't think it was like about, that. I don't think it was about death because at the end of episode five, he says, Desire says, I'm watching you, big brother. So it seems to be more about Dream than it 100- ever was about death. Hundred percent. Because I was thinking about how Roderick was doing the ritual. He got so lucky that Dream was just actually in the waking realm. Yeah. I was like, "Dude, what a crazy coincidence!" Um, so that it, it, the perfect timing and everything. I'm waiting to get that reveal now. It's and like if, almost guaranteed. And if Desire did give the book to Roderick, Desire gave it to the perfect person because Roderick was clearly so obsessed with finding his son that he hired it. Yeah, he does. True, he desired it, but so to use him as a just a pawn and okay, here's something that can get you potentially what you want. It's not going to work in the way that you think, but this is going to help me with my plan in the long run. So, just crazy. I love that. I love that plot. That everything has been just 
combining into what it's building up to be right now. I was going to bring up that earlier in the episode, death referred to destiny and desire as the twins. Mm -hmm. So, and I don't know where I'm going with that, but if desire's powers work anyway, like how death and dreams do, like she influences humanity's desires. And I'm just thinking maybe she took further liberties of her own powers and manipulated Roderick's desire to overcome his, what his destiny was supposed to be. And maybe, I don't know, that's what ended up in him, uh, his motivations being such that he desired his son back so much that he made it his life's mission to do this. I don't know. No, it's all on the table. Yes. And I love that. I love that, (laughs) that you reminded me of the destiny and desire being twins because that was getting me thinking like, what does that necessarily mean? Destiny Mm -hmm. is what you are going to have. Desire is what you want, but don't have. Mm -hmm. I wonder if they share a realm. I would hope not. I want a different realm for everybody. Yeah, true. uh, I still think that this could lead to Corinthian being the main villain of this season, dying in the end. And it kind of plays into the bigger plot of desire. Who's going to be a multiple season villain because, because of how quickly John was killed off or exit, the main plot that leaves enough ep- four more episodes to deal with Corinthian. Uh, I could buy that. Uh, All right. If you're did saying you, uh, that, did you drop the the in Corinthian? <laughs> I'm I, staying. I with go back and forth because I like <laughs> I like the Corinthian more. I'm staying with Corinthian, um, but I'm going to step step uh, one step farther. You said that Corinthian is going to be the, the main villain at the end of the season. I'm going to say that Corinthian is going to take over Desire and his realm. Desire is going to try to manipulate Corinthian. Corinthian is going to be like reverse Uno card. You're mm. the first endless to actually lose their power. Mm. Now I'm taking over now. I Damn. can buy that too. That'd be cool. <laughs> All right. I want to, now that we're at this point though, I want to hear, does every, are you at, it sounds like you might be, but are we, do you all think that, the person Desire was talking to was the Corinthian? No. I think who, that Corinthian Okay, then if pawn. it's not, then who do we think? That's the final think question, yeah. Do you think it's someone we've already been introduced to, or do you think it would be a new character? Nice Jessamy. What if it was like the creator? That would be crazy, but I don't know. Prodigal, why. It, could be, it could be Lucifer. Oh, Prodigal. Could be I'm prodigal. in the Prodigal now because he's disappeared. Nobody knows where he is. Could be Destiny, like straight up. Just the twins working together. That seems yeah, fine, too. Yeah, that's fine. These times, what are your thoughts? Matthew. Just has to be someone who has beef, like standing beef with Dream, and I feel like we don't have that many. Roderick Burgess. He's fucking dead. I don't know. So um, good. Whatever. Nah, yeah. No further theories. Personally. Yeah. Fucking phenomenal. Let's yeah. yeah, let's sign us out here. This is a long one, but it was so worth it. Um, I just want to say that I think that this was just peak television, specifically episode six. I think it's in the top three single epi- best episodes of TV I've watched this year, right up with Herogasm from the Boys, the Severance, the Severance finale, and then the, and then Peaky Blinders finale are probably the only three that I think single, uh, singularly compete with it. What'd you say, Paul? Mosaic from the Magicians. I said from this year, there from 2022. Oh shit! Sorry, sorry. Yeah. So I think it's just I it's it's on my Mount Rushmore of epi- single episodes that are new in this year. And I, and I just thought it was incredible. This will. This is going to be the episode when I am telling people about the Sandman. I'm just going to immediately be thinking about this episode specifically. I'm in. I think we're all in agreement that this was certainly the best two episode sample thus far out of the first mm-hmm. six, and that is no disservice to the first four. This has been 
a really good series so far. And I'm really excited to cover the next four episodes, which we are absolutely going to do in the same format two and two mm-hmm. um as always if you like what you heard give pinchtown tv a follow on twitter and instagram visit us on pinchtowntv.com that's got all our links to episodes whatever and please 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 subscribe to our show on spotify youtube the apple podcast app wherever else you may find your podcast once again we are Binchtown tv and thanks for listening You're listening to the Geekscape Network.